There was a boy that told his father, Dad, if three frogs were sitting on a limb that hung over a pool, and one frog decided to jump off into the pool, how many frogs would be left on the limb? Dad said, well, by the way you said that, I would say two, son. No, the son replied. There are three frogs and one decides to jump. How many are left, Dad? Dad said, oh, I get it. One jumps, the others would follow. So I would say zero, son, zero. There are none left. The boy said, no, Dad. The answer is three. The frog only decided to jump. Deciding never means they actually did it. So it's eye-opening in the thought that maybe this sounds like last year's New Year's resolution for some of us. <laughs> Does that sound awfully familiar? Some of you like, resolution, that was this week's life theme. I decided to do a lot of things, but maybe for some it sounds like the way your 2017 went. And... You made a series of decisions, but you never followed up. I think we've all been there. I think at some point in time, we've all decided we were going to do something and never really followed through. But great inspirations and great resolutions start with a decision, but they always follow with action. Is that right? Months later, there are some people that are still in the same boat that they were months ago when they first decided to jump off the limb, so to speak. You know, the only way we can move forward as believers, church, hear me, especially as a church that lives outside of themselves, like I believe we do, we have to live our lives in such a way that life is full of mission. So this morning, I want to bring a message entitled, Life on Mission. Life on Mission. Now, this past Wednesday, we had, our, uh, we had a praise and worship night. And I kind of touched a little bit on some things that God gave me during my devotional time, during this week of prayer, National Week of Prayer. Uh, some of you got a chance to join us here during the week, stopped in, and it's been warm all week in here. Past these walls, not so much. But we kept this room nice and toasty for anyone that came in. And we had people that came in through the week. And prayed. And God spoke to me some things about a passage that I, I've read a hundred times. I've read, have you ever read a passage like a bunch of times and all of a sudden one day it just stands out to you like, whoa, what is this? And I've never, that I recall, ever remember preaching on this passage. It's so familiar. Uh, sometimes we can overlook familiarity. Is that right? Sometimes we can overlook familiarity and things that make sense uh, or something that is very familiar to us, we sometimes can overlook because, you know, we, we think, oh, I've seen that a hundred times, or I've known that to be the case a bunch of times. And there's a lot of times in my life, I know for me, I've read a verse multiple times, I've studied it. I know that there's times I can overlook things, and I think the same thing happens in our lives. Sometimes it's something that's so familiar, we can overlook it. We do that with people. We do that with objects and things we have, right? Our kids do it. We, 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 we point to our kids. 
We point to our kids and, and they, we tell them, you got a bunch of toys, how are you bored? Right? You have no idea how much money I spent buying all these toys for you and you're playing over here with a, a, a cardboard. Right? It's true. We're bored. Well, let's, let's, then let's just go ahead and take away all your toys from your room. It's a waste of space. No, wait, what? You're bored. And we criticize them that way. We criticize them when we say, why are you bored? There's no way you should be bored. You have all these toys. But don't we do the same thing as adults? Don't we do the same thing? We just do it with bigger toys, more expensive toys. You, you hate your car, but it's got heat. There's somebody driving down the street that has a car that has no heat. How many know they would kill to have your car? Now, I'm guilty of that. I'll tell you what right now. There's times I look at my car and I'm like, I need a new car. No, I don't. No, I don't. Honestly, I don't. But I'd like a new car. But I don't need one. There's a difference. I think we all do the same thing. We just do it with bigger toys. We do it with bigger things. We do it with opportunities that are bigger than the kids. Kids just do it with smaller toys. You can buy in a smaller shop with plastic figurines and things. But when you start to live life on mission, when you start to live life outside of yourself, a perspective change curbs your desires and your passions toward the Lord. Now watch this, because I want to talk about life on mission for a few moments. I'm going to read, I want us to turn to a passage that many of us are familiar with. Some of us may not be. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. The first six verses of Proverbs chapter 3, again, is a main Passage of scripture that many use, many teach, many have taught. Books have been written on this topic. But it's about trusting in the Lord. I'm going to take our main passage this morning and break it into three parts that involve and hopefully affect everyone in this room. It doesn't matter if you've been in the Lord 10 months or 10 years or 15 years. This message, I believe, can and will touch everyone at the sound of my voice. Proverbs chapter 3 reads like this. And for those of you that don't have your Bibles with you, for some reason, you can look up at the screen. And you can follow along with these verses, what I'm talking about here. Proverbs 3 verses 1 through 6. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. For they will prolong your life many years And bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor. And a good name. In the sight of God and man. Trust in the Lord. With all your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him. And he will make your paths straight. How many ever heard that passage before? Right? You've, you've seen it. You might have heard it. You might have seen it on uh, some 
beautiful portrait with a beautiful landscape somewhere. I know that you've seen it, but can I, can I just entertain you for a moment to just give me your undivided attention for a few moments here this morning? Because what God has laid in my heart for you for the, for the first message of 2018 will be part of the message that will ring throughout the entire year. Our desire this year is to do something great. Our desire is to do something so much deeper and impactful and personal and intentional to reach people that won't ever walk in through our doors. I've always been that kind of person because I've been that person myself. I've never been the type of person that liked church as usual. See, I, I didn't grow up in the church, so for me, church as usual didn't make sense. Because I didn't know what that was like. Some of you grew up in church, some of you may not have grown up in church. But I, got, I, got, I came to Christ at the age of 15 years old, almost 16 years old. And when I came to Christ in, in, in the Bronx, uh, I, I, I attended a church that really... Uh, believed in the presence of God. And they went, you know, some people complain about two-hour services. We went three, three and a half hours sometimes. And we, we, would, we would go. We would go. And I remember how many times I was challenged to live a missional life, a life that goes beyond the, door, the walls and the doors that we have in the building. And so that challenge is something that is ingrained in me as I, as I walked deeper in the Lord and had a deeper passion and later went to Bible school and then later uh, became a youth pastor. I wanted to do more and, and, and then I became an evangelist because that just really exploded in me and it was a part of my life where I, for seven years I was out coast to coast preaching the gospel in all venues. I mean, it didn't matter the venue. I just wanted to tell somebody about Jesus. And the venues were different sizes, different backgrounds. It didn't matter what it looked like. I, I, I preached from a, a small group of 10 to a, a, a large group of thousands. It didn't matter. At the end of the day, if there was one person that would come to their lives and say, you know what, I need Jesus and give their lives to Jesus, that's what mattered. To find their life mission. There are few things that can refocus someone like trial and tragedy. Trial and tragedy will help you refocus. And I, being a young man, watching what I was seeing in New York City, myself, I, I learned to cling to the cross. Because honestly, you never know what was going to happen around me. And I realized with all the pain around me, that if I kept this to myself, it would be criminal. The peace that I had been given by God at the age of 15 years old. I got the call of God in my life at 16 years old. I began preaching at 16 years old. And at 16 years old, as I began to preach, I said, there's nothing else I want to do with the rest of my life. I decided that I wanted to live my life on mission. Not on myself, not on my talents, because I honestly didn't have a talent. I didn't feel like speaking was my talent at all. But I knew that I had a calling in my life and... See, anointing beats talent when talent refuses to work. And I realized that in my life that I can, I can have a great talent and never change a single life. But if I have the anointing of God and yet I still decide to refine that anointing and decide to say, God, I want to leave myself available to you. 
How many know that that will change lives? So to this day, I'm still honing in my craft to be able to clearly present the gospel. And I'm still working on it. I'm still a work in progress. Amen. We are still a work in progress. But there's no doubt in my mind that, that because of my upbringing, that's how come I have such a desire to see people get saved. So that has to change. If your DNA says, I just want to come to church so it can be a bless me club. You got to change that if you want to see life on mission. If you want to see your life count for something, you got to think beyond just coming on Sunday for, for, for Pastor Tony to preach at, preach at me and tell me something so I can be like, ooh, ah, yeah, that's something I need to work on. Give me seven days, I'll be back. Let's see how we are seven days later. Yeah, Pastor Tony, you're right. I still needed it. Seven days later. Yeah, still working. Still working. Let me download that message and listen to it for the next 16 weeks. Listen, there comes a point where it's no longer uh, something where God is working with you. You gave up on it a long time ago. There's some things that God never gave up on. You did. You decided no longer to work a life on mission. You realize that when you live your life on mission, some of these verses, if you can throw up verse 1, 2, and 3, we're going to look at those for a moment. It says, my son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. You realize that your, the God's commands doesn't just need to be in your head. It needs to be in your heart. It needs to be in your heart because your mind can change. But your heart is where all of your behaviors come from. All of your actions, all the things you do. I don't know where that came from. Guess where it came from? It didn't come from your mind came from your heart. Your mind thought it, your heart responded, your flesh is just a reaction of what has happened in your heart. And the Bible tells us simply, do not forget my teaching, but keep the commands in your heart. It goes on to say, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Listen, I believe verse 1 and verse 2 are closely tied. They're closely knit together. Why? Because when you decide to hold on to his commands, your life will be prolonged and will live many years. So the first thing that, that this, this passage tells me is to number one, keep God's commands. Keep God's commands. See, when you follow God's commands, you will avoid many traps that are counterproductive in your life. Most of us have a code that we live by. Like, treat others the way you want to be treated kind of thing, right? I want people to, if I treat you well, treat me well. If I invite you over, invite me over. If I do, there's a, a reciprocation that happens, right? Some of you have this sort of code of ethic, right? Some of you have that. If I respect you, respect me back. God has commands. And that, in a lot of ways, is heaven's code of ethic. Of how do you treat God? How do you treat each other? And if you look throughout the commands, it's God's laying out a plan so that we can draw closer to him. But we often think that somehow, oh, that's Old Testament. No, that's now Testament. That's fulfilled Testament. God's commands are his way of allowing God's people to see his heart. God's commands are his way of us being able to see his heart. And believe this statement or not. Look at me. Some of you don't realize that. There are things about your life today that God cares about more than you do. 
Some of you won't buy this statement. That there are things in your life that God cares about more than you do. You say, how could he care about it more than me? It's my life. Well, here's what I believe. I believe God cares more about you living without bitterness than you do. He knows how it can damage your heart. I talked a little bit last week on this and I hinted at it a little bit last week. And here's my thought. Some of us like living bitter because it gives us a reason to lash out. At anyone and everyone that does something to us. It's kind of like a a get out of jail free card. I don't know. When I was a kid, I used to love playing Monopoly. And I used to land on that, you know, community chess or chance. And they give you one of those get out of jail free cards. And you kind of store it away for later. You get out of jail, get out of jail free card. I'll get in jail. Oh, I got it right here. I'm not going to be in jail very long. Some of you treat bitterness that way. Someone hurt you. You want to pull out that card and say, look, someone hurt me. I got a be bitter card. Not be better. Not to be confused with be better card. Be bitter card. Look, somebody hurt me. I can say what I want to say now. I can do what I want to do now. Be bitter card. God says you, if you live bitter, you, you're slowly damaging your heart. God cares more about your finances than you do. He knows what you need and when you need it. And that's a hard one for some of us. Because we're like, man, I tell you what, I needed this, that, and the other. And felt like I had my own struggles. Well, God knows those things. He knows exactly what you need. God cares more about your future, believe it or not, than you do. Young people, look at me for a moment. He cares about your future. He cares about your future. Adults, you know what I'm talking about? You've seen God's hand in your life. He cares about your future. God cares about how we see his word and the world. Because his word is what will change the world. God cares how you see his word. Because it's his word that changes the world. G.K. Chesterton. He once said this. We do not want, as the newspapers say, a church that will move with the world. We want a church that will move the world. I don't know about you, but I don't want a church that will move with the world. That we we sound so much like the world. And we act so much like the world, but we sprinkle some Jesus on it. That will never be this church. Not as long as I am leading this body and this movement. To see God and do some great things. That will never happen here. Why? Because we don't sprinkle Jesus. We are are filled with Christ. We are filled with the power of his Holy Spirit. And we walk in his obedience. Not our own flesh. He was on to something. Because that is what happened with the first century church. that, That they lived their life on mission. They lived their life about God's word. They were moving Toward and with God's commands. They knew that they were called to make a difference. Some of us in this room don't even know why we're here in the building, much less on this earth. That's what we want to change in 2018. That's what this church wants to do in your life this year. 2018 will be a year of transformation for you. See, they knew that they were called to make a difference, the, new, the first century church. They were having an impact on society and building an impression because of the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. They lived their lives on mission. 
They didn't sound or look like the world. They sounded and looked like Christ. Are you hearing me? See, they dug their heels in and they put their shoulder to the wheel of history and they redirected their future by saying, God, if you're not in it, if you're not in it, there is no future. If you're not part of my life, there is no future. There is no hope. People have changed over the years a little bit. They, some have taken a stand for Christ, others have not. Others have watered down the gospel. The gospel doesn't need any water. It is water. It is life. It is everything we need and more. Some took a stand and the first century church did that. They took a stand and cost them their lives. They were faithful. They were full of faith. We don't need to assume for even a moment that somehow it was easier for them back in the days. Yes, times are tough today. But God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. That's not for yesteryear. Look at me. That's not for yesteryear. That's for right now. See, people have not changed much through the last few years. Vices, desires, rebellion. It just comes out a little differently. It's still a lot of the same stuff. People living by their own commands. Our task is no more difficult than, than the first century church. Our task is no less important than it was then, back then. Our task is no different than it was back then. But here's what I do know. He's coming back again. We are closer to the coming of Jesus again. We are getting closer. See, the church in every age has been called to be two things. Salt and light. Salt and light. Salt and light. And the church in every age still has a mission, still has a call. Why did they have such an enormous impact? Why did they so drastically change their environment? Because their desire was never to become like it. They lived their life on mission. Not on the flesh, but in the spirit. Church, I make no... Apologies. We are a spirit-filled church that believes in the moving of God. The gifts are for today. And God is coming back again for his bride. And we believe this. Why do we believe this? We believe this because God says, I will give you fullness. And I will give you more. And greater things will you do in my name. You can't do greater things without his spirit. You can't do greater things without his outpouring. We can't do greater things without the presence of the, of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We can't. It's impossible. I don't care how gifted you think you are. You're not that gifted. Nobody is. You can't be more gifted than the presence of the Holy Spirit in your life. Nobody can be. Did you get that? So they knew their purpose. They knew their plan. They were convicted about it. The church, oftentimes today, they're not convicted about much. Because it's all fair game. It's all on the grace. No! It's not okay to do what you want to do. It's not okay to say what you want to say. It's not okay. Our life has been called to be a life on mission, on task, focused and alert. We live our life on a mission. We are to boldly commit ourselves to God this year. Can I encourage you with this? Can I encourage you to go beyond and go where you've never been before? Stretch 
yourself just a little bit more than you have last year. 365 days later, who are you than you were last year at this time? Are you better or bitter? I guess part of it determines what you sowed in this last year. I don't know about you, but I'm convinced that if I follow him with reckless abandon and holy boldness, that I will see things I've never seen before. Can I encourage you with that? Second thought is this. Right love and faithfulness in your heart. Right love and faithfulness in your heart. See, walking in love and faithfulness is sometimes about being still. I heard a story um, recently. Is before refrigerators, people used ice houses. And to preserve their food, these ice houses had very thick walls, no windows, and a tightly fitted door. In winter, when, it's, when, it's, when the streams and lakes were frozen, large blocks were cut out. And they would put in these ice houses and they hauled them into the ice houses. And what they did is they would cover all the ice with sawdust. They would cover it, cover it to keep that cold. In. And often the ice would last well into the summer. Long time. It would hold on, hold on. A story was told one time that a man was in the ice house and he was working. And he had came out and he realized he couldn't find his very valuable, very, uh, not just expensive, but a, a watch that had a lot of value to him personally. And so he told his men, I need you to help me find it. So everybody went in there, started looking around, trying to find it in this ice house. And they searched and they searched and they searched to no avail. They had all came out and the little boy was out there. They said, did you find it? They all came out and they said, no, we had, no, we found it. And the little kid, when everybody else was kind of talking about their search there and kind of felt like they gave up, he ran inside under the radar and Came back out with a watch. Came back out with a watch and they were amazed. They were like, how did you find it? And he goes, when the door was closed, I laid down real quiet. I didn't say anything. And I put my ear on the sawdust. And I waited to hear the ticking. I waited to hear the ticking. That's all he did. And sometimes... There are things in your life that you will find what you find because you were still and you waited. Not because you acted or reacted, but you were still and you waited. You can sit around and throw everything and try to figure out what the next thing to do is. Or you can stop for a moment, put your ear to the ground and say, what will you have me to do next, God? Be still and know that I am God. Often the question is not whether God is speaking, but whether we're still enough to hear what he is saying. See, you can rehearse the chaos of this world, or you can believe God's word, but you can't do both. You can rehearse the chaos of this world. In other words, you can look at the chaos and respond to it. All the chaos, all the chaos, worry, worry, fear, fear, anxiety, and all the things that come with the world. And the world today is very different than it was a year or two or three ago. But you know what I also believe? That people are stirring some things to create anxiety and fear. So that you can rely on them. 
That's exactly what the enemy would love for you to do. He will make up fear and anxiety, things that will cause you to feel a certain way so that you can act and react outside of the will of God in a way that you think is right, in a way that you think is necessary, even if it's not God's will. And he's causing you to react outside of God's timing so that you can stir all the sawdust everywhere. Really what it takes is you being still for a moment and listening to the tick, tick, tick. You get what I'm saying? If he can get you to worry and panic, maybe you'll make a, a decision that will stir you in a different direction. What you nurse, you will rehearse. The things that you pay attention to and care for will be on your mind always. And if you can put fear, if you can nurse that, you'll also rehearse it. Did you get that? This is going to help some of you guys right now. What you nurse, you will rehearse. So decide today that I'm not going to rehearse chaos. I'm going to rehearse God's word. The peace that passes all understanding. Write love and faithfulness in your heart. Let the peace of God be what's in there. Amen? Third thought. Third thought. Found in verse 5. We decide that we're going to trust in the Lord. Whatever person we're trusting in. Normally. Find that there are areas that they're unreliable. Now how many ever trusted somebody and they proved unreliable? And you're like, ah. Everybody. There's not a single person that you can trust in that will always be there for you. I will fail you. People in this church will fail you. Listen, at the end of the day, there's only one that is truly faithful. Now, do we try? Yeah, we try to be, we try to be good. We try to help people. We try to be faithful. We try to be trustworthy. But we'll fail you. We'll fail you. And at the end of the day, it's he who we can trust in that will never, ever fail us. See, when we're called to trust in God or anyone, we always look to their credibility and reliability. His word has a lot of credibility with me today. I hope it does with you too. There's a lot of credibility issues that Jesus had with those that follow him, didn't he? Had little credibility issues with some of the people. I don't know, there's a guy named Judas. Credibility issues there. While they were eating, Jesus knew this credibility issue. Did you know that? Matthew 26, 21 and forward, those few verses, said this. While they were eating, he said, one of you will betray me. Deeply distressed at this, they began to say to him and to one another, surely it's not I, Lord. He said in reply, he who has dipped his hand into the dish with me is the one who will betray me. The Son of Man indeed goes, as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It will be better for that man had never been born. And Judas, his betrayer, said in reply, Surely it's not I, Rabbi, he answered. You have said so. You know what I found interesting? He didn't say master. He said Rabbi. Never said master. He said Rabbi. A rabbi was a teacher. A teacher. He didn't say Savior. He didn't say Lord. He didn't say Master. He said Rabbi. There's some people in this room 
You see him as rabbi. You don't see him as Lord. You don't see him as master. It, is un, it isn't until he becomes Lord, master, savior. That you can live your life in mission. He, if you trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. And lean not on your own understanding. You know what that means? It means that my sight has nothing to do with how I believe. What I see has nothing to do with what I believe. It may correlate, it may not, but it will not, it will not stray me away. I trust in the Lord. What I see has nothing or no bearing on what I believe. I choose that. I choose that. And you will have to choose that as well. He called them rabbi. Rabbi. They were with him. How many years? Over three years, right? Wouldn't you have figured out after three years that he's more than a rabbi? How long have you attended church? How long have you followed God? Shouldn't you know that he's more than rabbi? I'm bringing it home. Some of us have been okay with him being rabbi and that's where it ends. And you expect him to bless you, but he's only a rabbi. A rabbi can't bless you the way the Lord can, the way the master can, the way the savior can. The way the Lord God Almighty can. Transform your mindset today and don't let him just be rabbi. Because if he's just rabbi, you're getting everything you're asking for when you ask for a rabbi. Occasional prayers answered the way you want them. But if you call him Lord, but if you call him Lord, but if you call him Lord, but if you decide that he's master, if you decide he's Lord, you change the game. If he's Lord, there's more. If he's rabbi, He's limited. He wasn't Lord to Judas. That's how come he can betray him. But something happened. <clears throat> Judas only called him rabbi. He was with him for years. He saw every miracle. He saw the feeding of the 5,000. The feeding of the 4,000. The lame walking. The blind seeing. The deaf hearing again. He saw it all. And he called him rabbi. I sense the spirit of God speaking to somebody today. Because he's speaking to me. What I'm telling you right now is that unless unless you transform your mindset. And transform him in your mind from rabbi to Lord. You'll stay exactly where you were last year. Life on mission. You cannot live your life on mission when he's rabbi. He has to be Lord. He has to be Lord. If you're looking for someone in the Bible who personifies standing firm and trusting in the Lord no matter what, look no further than Job. Job was in despair. His whole life had been turned upside down. Are you with me? 
He lost his wealth, his loved ones. A series of sudden calamities. Now his health was gone. Why? Why would be? Why would? Why would God do something or allow something so bad to someone so faithful? Yet through the depths of his pain and turmoil, he says these words: "Though he slay me, yet I will trust in him." True love for God is trust in God. And that God is expressed in moral obedience. We keep the commands of God because he is our love. Because he is our savior. When we comprehend what Jesus did for us by sacrificing himself on the cross. Our response to him must be love. Or it becomes rejection. Whatever pain we don't turn to praise later becomes bitter. Whatever praise that we have in our heart toward the things of this world that doesn't turn toward God will become pride. Love delights to do God's will. And this new year, it's about transformation in yours and in other people's lives. See, God is not transforming you so you can sit on a luxury boat receiving all the buffet blessings that he has for you. Got a chance a few years ago to go on a cruise. It was, it was epic. Cruises on a cruise. I loved it. That buffet, 24 hours. 24 was a magic number. It was how many hours in a day that they had the buffet open. It also rain true to be how many pounds I gained by the end of the cruise my wife told me one time it was almost midnight it's bordering on midnight I'm like let's, get, let's go to buffet she's like what it's midnight why I said cause I can <laughs> you ever been to a buffet at midnight me neither my first time come back your bed's made I'm like hallelujah that's how people see Christianity I just want to be on this boat so everyone could serve me when you live your life on mission you realize that he's more than rabbi he's savior and when you realize he's savior he's got more for you but I want to go to God in prayer can I ask you to stand with me right now let's pray father Across this room, here we are. We don't want you to be rabbi or just rabbi. We're asking you to be Lord. Help us to live our life on mission. In Jesus' name we pray.